Tonight, if you join me in your Bibles, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Zechariah, chapter 14. And we're going to deal with the last two verses of Zechariah, chapter 14. This is, this is our last planned message from the book of Zechariah. We've been here almost two years, and we're at the last few verses of this book But I have to say a few things in remembrance and in preparatory for this night's message. And that is the gospel of God's grace has been presented throughout the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, like Noah, was a preacher of righteousness. And he preached the grace of God and he preached Christ and him crucified And he's going to go on and share with us in this last section that the gospel of promised deliverance. Now, God's grace promised to deliver us from sin, but he's also promised to deliver us from this body, this body of flesh that we have. And the Lord is going to do that. Uh, He's going to deliver us from the fall and the effects of the fall. And all of this is effective due to the new birth. Now, we'd have no way of having God ever do anything for us outside of the new birth. That's the first thing God is going to do for us. And from then on, multitudes of blessings will be poured out upon us. And then, too, we also find out that multitudes of blessings have already been poured out upon us before he even saved us by his grace. So keep your place there in the book of Zechariah, but I'd, I'd like to have you turn over to the book of Timothy, Second Timothy, if you would, as we think about the, this whole book of Zechariah. And then we're going to look at the last two verses as a concluding remark. We look here in the book of Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1. In Second Timothy chapter 1, we have some wonderful message here delivered to us by the Apostle Paul. He was just simply the secretary that left us the message and the Holy Spirit has given it to us here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. We just want to refresh ourselves that the gospel of God's grace, as declared throughout the scriptures, is a gospel of promised deliverance. God has promised to deliver his people from sin and the consequences of sin. He has promised also to uh, uh, take away the effects of the fall, and that for eternity he'll take away. We'll be able to meet God on good terms. We'll be able to be there before the throne of grace on good terms. So here in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but power and of love and of a sound mind. So the scriptures are not intended to produce fear in us. We, we have reverence for God. We have respect for God. But by the grace of God, we're not going to be afraid to meet him. And it goes on to tell us, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Now, as Zechariah went through, he never brought up the subject of works to anybody, that that's how we're going to approach God. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's a preacher of the righteousness of Christ. But according to his own 
purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So all of this great salvation that he gives, the salvation that was presented by Zechariah, that message he gave to us through Zechariah about that pool uh, open, that pool open for sinners. And here we have the Apostle Paul sharing us with these words, not according to our works, but his own purpose of grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. So the gospel minister has this responsibility to share this great truth about our Savior, that he is in the business of delivering us from the the fall, the consequences of the fall, sin of the fall, and also that the soul that sinneth it shall die. He's going to have to take care of that issue so that we can be with him throughout eternity. Uh, Along the same light is brought out in the book of Titus. The next book in line here, Titus chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, we have these words again as the Apostle Paul was led to write to a preacher again, and he was, by example, he's the one that we could always count on preaching Christ and him crucified. Just like we go to the Old Testament, where the Old Testament is not a, a message of works, and it's not a message of law, it's a message that we cannot keep it, and that we must have grace given to us by the Lord. As Isaiah brought out, if it were not for a very small remnant, we should all be as Sodom and as Gomorrah. So he had a remnant there, he's having a remnant throughout time. So here in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Isn't that interesting? By God creating faith in us, and we acknowledge that just as the apostle Paul did when he said, Lord, what will you have me to do after the Lord came to him? That is after godliness. We have that great slate cleared by faith in the Lord Jesus in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God in the covenant of grace promised us eternal life. And that's what we read all the way through the book of Zechariah, all the way through all the books of the Old Testament. It was Christ and him crucified. Moses wrote of me. Moses spoke of me uh, as he declared to his apostles there just prior to his ascension. He shared in all the Old Testament, in in the Psalms and in the prophets and in the law, the things concerning himself. And we rejoice from time to time getting to see some of those things. And now verse 3 of Titus, but hath in due times manifested his word through the preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So God has ordained that preaching is the means by which he declares this great truth. And this great truth is that he has had something in mind, in purpose, from before the foundation of the world. And we have hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Job shares with us so many years ago, I know my Redeemer liveth. Job said that in Job 19, verse 25. I know my Redeemer liveth. 
And a redeemer is someone that bought someone else out of a problem. We can redeem an item, but the Lord is in the business of redeeming his sheep. He's redeeming his people out of sin. So he's going to take care of that problem. In the book of Jeremiah, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah as we get a little bit closer to our friend Zechariah. In the book of Jeremiah, these words are left for us to be comforted by Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. The Lord has promised comfort to his people. He has promised comfort to to us in our daily walk, comfort in trials and tribulations. He is the one that is the comfort. Uh, His name shall be called a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. He's all of those things to the church, to his people. And here in Jeremiah 31, verse 10 and 11, we have these words, Jeremiah 31, verse 10 and 11. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off. Gentiles. Gentiles are going to be given this message. He that scattereth Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. He's in the business right now of going out and retrieving all his flock, all his lost sheep, all those that he had uh, the names written in the Lamb's book of life, all that the Son said the Father had given unto me, those are going to be brought in. And in verse 11, For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Isn't that an interesting way of, of uh, words put together? He ransomed from him that is was stronger than he. We're not able to overcome our own, our own burden. We're not able to overcome our own sin. But we have a, one that does redeem and one that does ransom us out of the problems that we fell in as a result of the fall. You know, to keep us mindful of this, we find that in the book of First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, it says there in chapter 4, we have this treasure. We have Christ. We have this treasure, this glorious treasure of Christ, We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that we are not bragging on what we've done. We're bragging on him who has done it for us. So uh, just to keep us in line with what grace means, keep us in line of what sovereign grace means. That he is the one that deals with it. In uh, Isaiah 41, would you just back up one book there? You were in Jeremiah. Back up one book to the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 41. In Isaiah chapter 41, we have this said about this great work of grace. Isaiah 41 verse 14. In Isaiah 41 and verse 14, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. What What a statement about the church. And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So we have a Redeemer, we have a Helper, and it is the Lord God Almighty. And he's dealing with worms. And you know, only those that have been saved can ever admit that about themselves. Nobody outside of Christ will ever admit that kind of 
reliance. That we're, we're just out able to do anything. We're just a worm. But you know, the Lord has promised to those worms that there will be a day when they'll be like unto him. They'll have be in his presence. They'll have a body like unto his body. So this is what we're going to be looking at in just a moment there in the last two verses of the book of Zechariah. In Isaiah 40, or 59, Isaiah 59, we have this said about this wonderful subject that we're looking at for just a moment. Here in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 20, it says, And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. Now, it's wonderful there in the book of of uh, Hebrews, you've not come. Is it Hebrews or Galatians? Galatians, you've not come to Mount Sinai, but you've come to Mount Zion. Sinai is law and death, but you've been you've come to Mount Zion. What a blessed place! It says here, the Redeemer has come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. For as for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forevermore. What is that word? Christ is all. Christ is our hope. That word will not depart. When it's revealed to us, it will not depart. We'll never lose with our right mind. We'll never lose the very blessing that we have in that. In uh, the book of Galatians, I want to go over there. Two more verses, I think, and then we'll be going to Zechariah. Galatians chapter 4. The book of Galatians chapter 4, as we see this glorious purpose of grace that God from the very beginning intended to come down and deliver a people. He came down to redeem a people. He came down to ransom a people. They were already in his mind. He already had their names written down. He came to be with them and for them. And he has purposed to do that. And he is about the business of doing that in this present time. Somewhere along life's highway... God is going to meet every one of his lost sheep. Some he's already gathered in. Some are being prepared to be gathered in. And some may not even be born yet. But he is intending to gather every one of those lost sheep into the fold. And this is the promise he has made. I will redeem them. I will ransom them. It is not if they go along with me, I'll do it. No, he says, I will do it. God alone knows the real problem that we're in. We still don't know the real problem we're in. We still have not come to the conclusion of the fall that Adam did. But God knows the problem we're in, and he has the solution of the problem, and his name is Jesus. The darling Son of God is the only solution for all the problem that came upon us in the fall. Only solution. We have no other solution. And that solution is the Lamb of God, and that solution is given to us by grace when we're dead in trespasses and sin, and he raises us from the spiritual dead, and we can acknowledge him that raised us now. Now, I've never seen his face, but I've heard his word. It's right here in the book. And he's going to raise his people from their spiritual dead. 
just as he walked up to the tomb of our friend there and said, Lazarus, come forth. Somewhere along the line, he's going to raise every one of his lost sheep. All right, here in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 5, the word says this, to redeem them that were under the law in the fullness of time. Verse 4, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So God in his wonderful purpose has taken care of that. He took care of that for Zechariah, took care of that for Jeremiah, took care of that for Isaiah. Pray that he's taken care of that for you. And then it says in Titus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. He has redeemed a people, and they're a peculiar people, and that word peculiar means they're owned by somebody. They were owned by somebody before they acknowledge it, and they don't mind the ownership now. The Lord is my Savior. All right. <coughs> That's what he's done for us. That's what Zechariah brought out throughout that passage of Scripture. And now let's go over here to Zechariah chapter 14. Last two verses of this book. The book of Zechariah chapter 14, verses 20 and 21. Verses 20 and 21. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we read these words, In that day shall there be unto the bells of the horses excuse me, upon the bells of the horses, holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein, and in that day there shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. What, what promises that God gives to his church that he has promised them eternal life before the world began, and in that he has promised that he'll take care of them whether he comes and changes us like unto his glorious body or whether we die and he changes us like unto his glorious body. It's not going to matter. That promise that God gave. Now it tells us in there, and if you remember correctly, a horse did not chew its cud and it did not have a cloven hoof, which makes it a what? An unclean beast. It is an unclean beast. It was not to be eaten. By the Jews, it was an unclean beast. It was put into a category of its own. Now we find out here that in this, the kingdom of God, that there is nothing that is common or unclean. He saves all nations, peoples, kindreds, and tongues. To At one time, they may have been the most unclean beast in the world, but when God comes, he takes care of that uncleanliness and causes them to be holy, holy, just as he is holy. The song of Moses there in the book of Exodus, after the Red Sea, he said, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? 
who is like thee? Now, holiness, God's holiness, it's much different than any holiness that we've ever witnessed in church. Holiness movement, whatever you want to call it, is much different. God's holiness is Christ in us. It is His holiness in us. He's the one that makes us holy. We cannot produce that. We cannot. And yet we are called on, be ye holy as I am holy. Well, we find that we're just unable to do that. Who is able to do that? Lord God Almighty is able to do that. Just like he was able to raise us from the spiritual dead, he can make us holy in the sight of God. In the Turn with me back to the book of Exodus. As we think about holiness, as much of it is brought out here in the Old Testament in a declaration. And those, in the book of Exodus, those who come to the question, how can I do this? You know, that's a good place to be. Now, the Pharisee said, I've already got it. The works-oriented people, I've already got that. I'm working on it. It's getting better every day. Every day I'm getting more holy and more holy and more holy. And in fact, the book of Isaiah talks about those who are holier than thou. That's a biblical term. That's not something some human being come up with. People that are holier than you. Well, we find out that holiness is a gift of God. Holiness is God's gift to us. So here in the book of Exodus chapter 15, excuse me, Uh, Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. And there in verse 36. Exodus chapter 28 and verse 36. In preparation for dressing Aaron, the high priest, when we went through the book of Leviticus, we went through the dress, and everything had meaning in the dress of Aaron and his sons. And we notice right here, that as they were preparing for the cap, the hat that he wore, there was to be a gold plate put on it. And this gold plate, it says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet or a ring, holiness to the Lord. Now that was put on Aaron's hat. Now Aaron couldn't attain that, not even with that hat on. He could never attain that position. But he is declaring the great high priest, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, our great high priest, is holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. That's what they said there in the book of Isaiah chapter 6. The seraphims cried out that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Is In the book of Isaiah, after that, in Isaiah chapter 35, We have this said about God's holiness and how it is appropriated to his people, given to his people to be holy. Those horses, and I was reminded, I believe it was last Wednesday when we mentioned this, (coughs) there's an eight-up team, eight, four teams that are hooked to a wagon. I'm not going to tell you the the product that they sell. Uh, (laughs) But on those horses that advertise this product, on their hames are these bells. And every time they walk, it's cling, 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 cling. My grandfather had a set of bells that went onto the hames of his horses. So when they, during the winter, when they were on the sleds, 
you heard that chime, and it, it, it's a pleasant chime. Well, there's an illusion here about this, as in Zechariah, <coughs> that the horses, even the bells of the horses, these unclean beasts, are given bells that say holiness unto the Lord. Everything that God does is holy, and everyone he deals with is made holy, and we're made the holiness of God. And here in the book of Isaiah chapter, let me get there, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1. In Isaiah chapter 35, you know, the Lord's walk was an absolute perfect walk. His talk was absolutely a perfect talk. There was not an ill word, not a sinful thought. I just think about the Lord getting ready for Sunday. He didn't ever have a pimple. He never had a cold. He never had an ingrown toenail. He never had any of the illnesses that we're so prone to have. And he is saying that by his very being, that he is holy without sin. Why do we have illness? It's part of the fall. Why do we have pimples? Why do we have frailty? Why do we have these things that come along? Because of sin. It was brought through the fall, and we have it. Oftentimes God deals with it in a miraculous way. Sometimes he doesn't. But here in the book of Isaiah chapter 35, the wilderness and a solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even the, with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon shall be shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. What metaphors are used here for, for us to just get a glimpse of this glorious person, our Savior the Lord. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense, and he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. That's exactly what the Lord said to John. Take, take this message to John. He's in prison. Take this message to John. Those who are blind are see. Those who are leprous have it removed. Those who are in jail are out. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. He's using these illustrations to point to what great spiritual blessings we have in salvation in Christ Jesus. We, the, we were lame, and we're able to leap as a heart. Our tongue is tied. We cannot sing praises to the Lord. Now we can sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. What a glorious picture he gives to us of the great work that God performs when he saves his people from their sins. And that's what Zechariah is writing about at the conclusion of this great book. The parched ground shall become a pool. My goodness, in religion, we just parched out all the time. And there was never any water put on us. And yet, when God saves us, we have the water of life as in our bellies, springing up to everlasting life. 
and a highway shall there be a, a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. No, the way that God leads the church is the way of holiness, because he is holy, and unclean shall not pass over, and it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring man, though fools should err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. That's the place that God allows us to walk, is in the way of holiness. It's not our holiness, but it's his holiness given to us. We're placed in the person Christ Jesus, and he is absolutely, in fact, thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is him. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sign shall flee away. We read over there in the book of Zechariah chapter 14, it says there will be no more Canaanite there. There's not going to be anything that would bring imperfection into the presence of the Lord. Those he saves, he will save and make them holy. And those he does not save will not enter in. And in fact, they wouldn't want to be there. All right. As we travel this down this road, we find in the book of Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Here we find in this about the kingdom of God. Now, the apostle Paul again was led to write about this very thing. Romans chapter 14 verse 17. A lot of discussion about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, how they're different and how this applies to that and this applies to that. Well, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible that there is. And it says here, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Let's not get it mixed up. Holiness is not physical. It's not outward show. It's holiness that God gives us. Now, it's so true that God's restraining power keeps us from doing a lot of the stupid things that we might have done. But holiness is not something that we produce. Holiness is something that is given to us. And we must have it or we'll not see God. It's going to go on and tell us in another book. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Who's that? And peace. Who's that? And joy. Who's that? And it's all in the Holy Spirit. It's revealed to us by the Spirit of God. So we have this righteousness of Christ. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. And he is our joy. So we have all of this contained and in the person Christ Jesus. And then, as we already read, we find out that there's not going to be anything that would harm there. There's not going to be anything that would prevent. There's not anything that would hold back. All of this is given to us by the Lord and in the Lord. In the book of uh, First uh, First Peter, chapter one, First Peter, chapter one. In First Peter, chapter one, we find, and you know, I, I wrestled with this in religion. I cannot tell you how much I wrestled with this in religion. First Peter, chapter one, and verse sixteen. First Peter, chapter one, and verse sixteen. Now, the Old Testament is full of places it says, "Ye shall be holy, for I am holy." And, you know, there are probably quite a number that said, I've already got it. Don't have to worry about it. And there were a remnant according to the election of grace that realized that they had nothing of that on their own. They were going to have to depend wholly, wholly 
holy, with a W, on someone else for that holiness. All right, here it says, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. There is no way that we'll ever approach God without holiness, and that is Christ. We'll never approach Him without holiness. This is so, and it, it permeates the kingdom. It permeates the kingdom of God. It permeates the kingdom of heaven. It permeates God's holiness. Permeates, and that's why we can read there in the book of Zechariah. Even the horses have it. Every pot has it. Every bowl has it. Everything that was pictured around the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament was contained under the subject of holiness. Here it is, Zechariah writing a New Testament concept in the Old Testament. Well, I'm being facetious there. The Old Testament, those who were saved were saved because of the everlasting covenant or the new covenant. So it is written, be holy as I am holy. And in Leviticus, a number of places it tells us, be holy as I am holy. This is a requirement. Keep the law is a requirement. Impossibility. Not going to be accomplished by us. In fact, after the Lord saves us, we find out just, oh, wretched man that I am. There's not an ounce of holiness in me. There's not an ounce that I can brag on. And then we find out, we can brag on Christ's holiness. We can brag on God's holiness. Be holy. You shall be holy, for I am the Lord your God am holy. You be like me. Well, we find out that that's, he's the only one that can give us that. All right. Turn with me, if you would, over in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying exactly what the seraphim said in the book of Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy. Now notice this name that is mentioned here. Lord God Almighty. Now I'm thankful. We, we shouldn't have to have such a redundancy of names. Because every one of those names, Lord God and Almighty, all mean Lord God and Almighty. But the Lord is gracious to us to repeat over and over and over again the glory of God he is the Lord he is God and he is the almighty one which was and is and is to come and when those beasts or living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever now that is the conclusion that we find over in the book of Zechariah. In this place, there will be no Canaanite. There will be no one that doesn't know the Lord. There's going to be a separation made. Let's go back over there to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 14, verse 21. 
So we find that in verse 20, everything, that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses, holiness unto the Lord. They even will redound to the glory and holiness of God. Every unclean. You know, I hear the words of the leper, the required words of the leper. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Required to cry it out so nobody else would touch them or step into their shadow, in fact. And here we find that the Lord speaks of an unclean beast as holiness unto the Lord. The house shall be, uh, and the Lord's house shall be like the bowls there before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord. Everything, everyone, every being, everything is holiness unto the Lord in his kingdom. It's not meat or drink. It's a spiritual kingdom, and we have the best possible. We have Christ's holiness. We have Christ's righteousness, and we have Christ's joy. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take them and see them. What sacrifices do we offer today? I really get trouble when people come up and tell me that in the very near future, we're going to start offering animal sacrifices again. That troubles me. It tells me a lot about the person. Number one, they don't know the first thing about the gospel. Gospel believers are never going to be looking for animal sacrifices again. There was one sacrifice that put sin away forever, and we trust in him. We're not trusting in some future sacrifice. And these, the sacrifices that we are privileged to offer today is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Sacrifice of praise. Now, it shouldn't have to be a sacrifice. (laughs) It should be an enjoyable thing to do, but that's the sacrifices that we offer today. And God moves in us. Now, I've used the illustration recently. My dad had given me a $100 bill. It was his $100 bill until he gave it to me. And the guy today told me, well, what if you refuse it? I said, are you going to refuse a $100 bill? I'll have to try it next time. (laughs) He gave it to me. It's mine now. Now, I know where it came from, but it is mine. He gave me his holiness. Now, I have holiness, but it is his, but it's now mine. He gave me peace. It is his peace, but he gave it to me. Now, it's mine, but I know it's his. You know, we just look at all of those spiritual blessings, and we find out, Every one of them were dependent upon the Lord to give them to us. They are ours now. We have them from time and for eternity, but we know where they came from. They're not something that we produce. And then in that last verse, so that last chapter of the book of Zechariah, and in that day. Now, the Lord is not going to ever accept a Canaanite. A spiritual Canaanite. Now, he's accepted Moabites, he's accepted Jerichoites, he's accepted all kinds of people of all kinds of races and all kinds of places. That's not the issue. The issue here is everybody that God saves is going to believe the same thing about God. He's not going to have someone coming in and say, well, I believe that God, he did as much as he could, but now... I had to take over from that point. A Canaanite, he's not going to have that in his kingdom. 
there will be no Canaanites. And in eternal life, in eternal heaven, there will be none, nothing that will mar, nothing that is sinful, nothing that will do that. So the Canaanites are going to be kept out. There shall be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Isn't it interesting that the name that Zechariah is so famous for using throughout this 14 chapters of the book of Zechariah, Lord of hosts, is the one that closes out here. Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the armies of heaven, the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? And Zechariah said, yea and amen. Here it is. The Holy Spirit has given me this message. There will be those that will understand and believe. God will give them that. And there will be those who walk away and say, Zechariah is a crackpot. I'm going to keep my Canaanitish beliefs. A bunch of Jews were Canaanites. They believed their works were going to get them to heaven. Jesus dealt with them during his own personal ministry. The Pharisee believed that he was already okay. The publican knew he wasn't. And God saved him, and he went down to his house justified. So, Zechariah opened the book, went through the book, he preached the gospel to everyone that came in contact with him, and he left the results to God. But he also understood that when God did a work, they would be holy. They would love God because he first loved them. They would choose God because he first chose them, and they would be part of the church that in time, God's people will all meet, gather together, and delight in his sovereign grace. With this, we'll close the book of Zechariah. We're not quite sure where we're going to go next time, but read the book of Esther.